Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, April 11th by Pastor Tim Voth. This is the fifth and final message in our Easter 2021 sermon series entitled The Battle of the Wills. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. So we've been going through a sermon series called Battle of the Wills, where we've looked at multiple power struggles of will. Peter's will versus Jesus's will, us versus God's will, Jesus's will versus the Father's will, and Jesus's versus death's will. And we just celebrated Easter when the battle Jesus won definitively over death in the resurrection. So where do we go from here? We all know the story continues from there, but after the crescendo of Easter and resurrection, we need to remember that in reality, that wasn't the end of the story. It was, in a way, only the beginning. So I want to close this sermon series by sharing about the events after Jesus rose from the dead. I want to look at his ascension and his giving of the Holy Spirit to the apostles at Pentecost. See, Jesus didn't want his good news of of death's defeat to just affect a couple hundred followers in Israel 2,000 years ago. He didn't even just want the power that rose him from the dead to be his alone. He wanted that news to spread throughout the entire world and throughout time, filling everyone, even you, with that same power by his spirit 2,000 years later. Now here's the battle of the will. The will of God is for the world. Jesus has sent his spirit into the world to win the world. Now we have a decision. Are we going to fight against the spirit or allow him to work through us? The way we win this battle of will with the spirit is through surrender. Surrender. This is a key word in this battle. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. When we surrender to the Spirit, we can win over the world. And Christians have been surrendering to the Spirit for thousands of years, and as a result, this gospel message has reached you, and now it's yours to pass on. And if you don't fight against the Spirit, but instead surrender to Him, you can have an effective witness through the power of a forgiven life, the power of a courageous life, and the power of a godly life. So I'm going to look at the end of Luke and Acts, Uh, mainly through the eyes of Peter. As we've seen, Peter sometimes got it right and sometimes got it really wrong. And I feel the same way, especially when thinking about power. I think of verses like Ephesians 1.19 that says, we have an immeasurable greatness of power in us. And Romans 8.11 that says, the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. And I wonder what that looks like. How do I access that power? Jesus had power over death, but is that same power really available to me? Why don't I feel it? Or at least, why does it come and go? And if it's still, if it is in me, why do I struggle sometimes? Now, the Spirit's power makes me think of strong wind. And you've probably experienced strong wind. It can be pretty powerful. And back in January, we had such strong windstorms here in the Fraser Valley that fences were blowing over and shingles were flying off the church roof. It was crazy. And during one of these windstorms, I wanted to harness that power. So I hustled to a nearby field with my kids and some kites that we had recently been given. I was so excited. It was, it was the perfect day for flying kites. But as soon as I got there, the wind stopped. So I was running around in a huff trying to get these kites to fly uh, for these kids. It was one of those classic moments where the dad is like way more into the thing than the kids are. Every time I, was, I would try, the wind would die. And I'd sit down a little frustrated, but then suddenly a huge gust of wind would come and I'd hop up and try to untangle the kites. And when I'd finally start running, the wind would die down again. Over and over this happened. It it seemed like whenever I really wanted something to happen, there was no power to do it. 
And then whenever I was distracted or had given up, I was missing out on the power I could have experienced and harnessed. Maybe you can relate to that in your spiritual life. Trying your best only to have it fail. Or being so stagnant that you know you're missing out on something. How in the world do I walk in the power of the Spirit? Well, Peter most likely felt the same. When he should not have acted, he acted by cutting off a guard's ear. When he should have acted by standing with his Lord, he didn't. And instead, he denied him. But there was a drastic change in him when the wind of the Spirit blew powerfully on his life and he surrendered to it. He went from being someone who denied Jesus to a little girl to someone who proclaimed the message of Jesus to everyone as loud as he could, no matter the cost. So to understand this transformation and how we too can be transformed, let's talk a bit about the ascension and then the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So at the end of the Luke, the, the author says this in chapter 24. Then he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So they were to wait for this power, and the Greek word is actually where we get our word for dynamite. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he, set, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted for them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. So that's the account at the end of Luke. And then comes the book of Acts, which is actually supposed to flow from the gospel of Luke into Acts, since Acts is also written by Luke. So in Acts, the scene of Jesus' ascension at the beginning is expanded a bit more. And it says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So imagine this. Your Lord, this great teacher and leader who was looking, who was going to be king, was now killed. You're utterly discouraged that this uprising movement is over. But wait, he's risen from the dead. Now this king is back. The kingdom of Israel can now advance. And now with someone who has power over death. So they ask, is now the time where you're going to bring the kingdom? And he basically says, nope, you've got it wrong again. First, it's not just the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of heaven for the whole world. And it's not me who will advance it, but you. You, plural, will receive power. And you, plural, will be my witnesses and then he just floats away. It's like the most dramatic mic drop in history. They're all stunned. What just happened? They must have had so many questions. 
Why did he float away? Where did he go? How will we advance the kingdom without the king here? And maybe we have similar questions. I know I do. Why the ascension? Where did he go? Why didn't Jesus just stay on earth? Now, unlike famous magician David Blaine's ascension, Jesus didn't have balloons and he wasn't doing it to make a spectacle. He was doing it to reveal something about his character and his mission. Jesus is the son of God and he ascended to reign on his father's throne. There are many places in scripture that talk about Jesus' ascension and the significance of it, but I just quickly want to focus on one found in Ephesians 4.10 where Paul says this, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He ascended in order to fill all things. Jesus had an intimate and personal relationship with his disciples, but he wanted that for everyone. But in order for him to have that with everyone throughout the ages, he couldn't be bound to one location, to time and space. If he were, then people who were physically closer to him could have a closer relationship with him. Jesus wants everyone to know him, to have an immediate, intimate access to him every single moment of every single day. Jesus said this in John 16, Let me assure you, it is better for you that I go away. I say this because when I go away, I will send you the helper to you. But if I do not go, the helper would not come. The Spirit is himself God, and what better way to be close with God than for God to dwell in you? So Jesus left so that he could fill anyone who trusts in him. The presence of God no longer bound to a location, but living inside all of who believe. Immediate access to the Father and the ability for the life, death, and resurrection to be applied to everyone, anywhere, at any time to anyone who trusts in him. Now think of that. God wants to make his home in you. You are the location of the kingdom and the place from which it advances. And you might think, me? No, 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 no. No, I'm not worthy. You, you don't know what I've done. God doesn't want to dwell in here. God probably wants nothing to do with me. But that is exactly where we need to surrender to the power of the Spirit. Think of Peter. We see Luke recall the moment after Peter denied Jesus. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Think of Peter after that. Imagine that hanging over his head. The Jesus movement is over. He wrecked it. He could have stood up. He could have saved his Lord or at least died with him. But now he lives a quiet life of guilt and regret. And then he gets a report that the tomb is empty. And he runs Luke says, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping in, he saw the linen cloth, cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Why did he run? Then in John we read, after Peter has gone back to a life of fishing, that Jesus appeared to them on the shore, and Peter jumps in. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he'd removed it, and he jumped into the sea. Why did he jump in? Why did he run? Well, Jesus meets Peter on the beach and he cooks him breakfast. What a simple act of love. Peter says, you know me, Lord. Jesus knew his failure. Jesus knew everything, but that also means Jesus knew that Peter loved him. Jesus forgives him, loves him, and gives him a fresh start and he offers the same to you. And maybe you don't have the power to forgive yourself and that's the point. You don't, but God has the power to forgive you. 
Don't cling to past regrets. Don't hold to past failures. Whatever you're holding on to, let go and surrender to the perfect forgiveness of Jesus. By his spirit, he wants to apply the finished work of Jesus to you and amaze you with the power of his love that can forgive anything and restore anyone. So now, this forgiven, restored Peter is waiting, along with the other disciples, for this power to come. And then we read this in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to one another in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from, under, from every nation in heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So there's the power. There's the promised helper. There's God himself inhabiting and filling them all. There's this rushing powerful wind and maybe some shingles flew off and there's also licks of fire landing on all of them. There's so much going on here and there's lots that could be examined but I want to focus on one aspect of the significance of this event which I heard explained um, by one of my profs in seminary recently. So Luke points out that this event happened on the day of Pentecost and the Bible doesn't mention this feast but from other sources it's believed that this feast celebrated God's covenant or promise with Moses on Mount Sinai when God gave Moses the law, or the covenant, old covenant. There was also a rabbinic tradition that said that God spoke the law to Moses when he did it was in one sound that broke out into 17 languages that were understood by the world. Now whether or not that's true, it was a tradition, but Luke seems to be making an amazing parallel here. Luke is saying that in the same month, and even the exact same day that Moses received the old covenant of the law, with amazing signs to affirm it, even fire through one sound which then spread so that the world could understand it. Sound familiar? Now, God is enacting his new covenant of the Spirit with his new community affirmed with powerful signs, including fire, through one sound that, can, that everyone can understand. God is affirming his new promise of the Spirit. The apostles speak and supernaturally everyone can understand. Now, this wasn't just people from Israel here at the feast. Listen to the list of people. Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Yeah, what does this mean? Now to us, those places are somewhat meaningless, but if you looked on an ancient map, you'd see that there were people there who came from all around the world, radiating out from Jerusalem, just like Jesus had said, starting in Jerusalem. So the new way that God will be with his people is through the Spirit, which transcends borders, nations, race, gender, every single distinction you could make. The veil was torn, and now God's presence is available to everyone 
And here we see Peter, broken, sinful, forgiven, restored Peter, putting out his kite in the strong wind of the Spirit. He's soaring. He now preaches to this massive crowd, unafraid, uninhibited, and thousands of people come to believe in Jesus and are also filled with his presence through the Holy Spirit. Peter experienced the power of God and as a witness of Jesus, witnessed to the world about him. And the same power is available to you. Jesus gave them and us what we call the Great Commission, found at the end of Matthew, summarized here in Luke. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I once heard someone say this, this is the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. You are commissioned to do this. Now you may think, me? How? I, I can't. How can I be a witness to anyone? Now, you can't use the I'm too sinful card because we already saw how Jesus restored Peter. But you could say, I, I'm too afraid. I'm too anxious. I, I don't know how. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm just an idiot. I can't do it. Fair enough. But listen to what it says later in Acts 4 about the apostles. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, and the word here is literally idiotes, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They may not have been the sharpest tools in the shed, but they surrendered to the power of God and were used by him. Don't let your insecurities define what you're capable of and what God can do through you. Maybe you've tried to be a witness and there's been no effect, or worse, seemingly a negative effect. Or maybe the wind is blowing and people around you need Jesus, but you're too distracted or discouraged to reach out. Don't give up. The wind of the Spirit is always blowing and we, we, don't, we just don't always understand how our effectiveness looks. But we can engage the Spirit if we surrender to his leading. We have no power to change lives. We are simply called to be a witness, to be someone who has clearly spent time with Jesus, have experienced his forgiving love like Peter and are unafraid to say so. We don't need to have a degree to share the love and power of Jesus with those around us, your neighbors, your family, your coworkers, people in whatever community or club you find yourself in or even in a random encounter. Now, I'm often hesitant to share my faith and in fact, I feel like I'm really bad at it. And I wish I had the courage of these apostles. But this is the great thing about surrendering to the power of God's spirit. We have to believe that it is not about our eloquence, our knowledge, our tact in winning arguments that draws people to Jesus. We can't even bank on tangible, measurable, or observable effect on people. But rather, it is our willingness to listen to the Spirit and follow his lead that counts. When we let go of fear of what people think of us, since God loves us, let go of the fear that we'll mess it up, since God is in control, we also need to stop obsessing over the effect we have on those around us. Maybe it's cultivating the ground or, or planting a seed or watering or even harvesting, but we must walk in trust that he is using us when we surrender to him. I'll give you my most recent example of this in my life. Last Sunday on Easter, I was at a park with my family. The kids were playing and I happened to get into a really good conversation with someone. We were talking about their kids and, and their grandkids and having a good, fairly lengthy conversation. And somehow, eventually, it came to what I did for work. And I said, I'm a pastor. And their response was that, you know, everyone really believes the same thing and we all just need to try to be good people. Now, I kind of let that comment slide because we'd been talking for a while and assumed that the conversation would continue and, and we could maybe even circle back to it. 
And I didn't want to be uh, immediately uh, argumentative or abrasive. I, I didn't want to force anything. I'm genuinely interested in getting to know them, but I'm also praying for natural openings to talking about deeper things and the courage to follow the leading of the Spirit. And eventually they said a similar thing again, and I felt this time I could respond a bit more. I was able to say something like, I, I agree, most people do just want to be good people and loving people. And I was actually just reading this morning that love is patient and love is kind and we all want to love and to be loved. You're right. But it does happen to be Easter today and it's interesting how I, I believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead and that that really ought to ha affect what we believe. And at that, the person pleasantly but abruptly said, well, I shouldn't keep you and they went on their way. <laughs> so did I botch it? I always leave those conversations wondering if I, I should have done this or I could have said that. But I'm sure you've had conversations like that too. And the point is that I don't know what that person is now kind of mulling over or how God is using that conversation. But what I do know is that I was listening to the Spirit, looking for a door, asking God for courage, and just trying to sincerely be a witness to Jesus. And what I want to say to you today is don't give up. You have the power of God in you to give you the courage to be his witness in the world. Who's he calling you to? Don't give up on that relationship with your neighbor. Don't stop thinking of ways to share Jesus with the people around you. Put out your kite. God will use you. Someone, someone in our church uh, in a Zoom discussion recently said this, and it stuck with me. God, add your super to my natural. Yes, let's pray that. God uses our natural abilities and circumstances beyond our ability. God wants to use you where you are. You may not see it, but the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is alive in you. So whether you're cultivating the ground and building relationships, planting seeds of gospel truth here and there, or reaping by leading people to Jesus, he will overshadow your weakness and, his, and advance his kingdom through you. He will give you courage and an effective witness beyond your ability. Now, one last point. Being an effective witness means we don't just talk the talk, we walk it. The Holy Spirit also wants to make us holy. He's the Holy Spirit. This same Peter who knew the power of forgiveness and the power of courage also knew the power of a holy life. And he went on to write this in 2 Peter. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what a spirit-filled person looks like. The power of God is evident in them in their daily life. So don't just speak it, live it. Your life of spirit-filled righteousness, sincerity, generosity, love, humility, joy, honesty, and all the fruits of the spirit will make you effective and productive in, in your witness to those around you. So don't surrender to the flesh. Surrender to the spirit. Don't resist his will. Is there a sin he's calling you to give up? Is there a habit or pattern in your life he might be calling you to let go of? What righteous acts have you been neglecting that he may be calling you to? And what do you need to let go of in order to begin doing them again? Are you walking in obedience? 
great, keep it going. Surrender to the Spirit, knowing that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you to help you live a godly life. As we do that individually, we become a community, collectively filled with the Spirit, doing good works, filled with love to those in our community as a witness. So in the battle of the will, don't resist the Spirit. Don't resist his will in your life. Surrender to the Spirit and he will win over the world through you. Like Peter, you could find yourself fully forgiven and restored, courageous to witness to the world about Jesus and leading a genuinely godly life. The power is available. We can't always see it and we, it may look different than we thought, but the Spirit is constantly moving in you. So harness that power. Let out your kite. Fight the battle through surrender and you will experience Jesus' resurrection power in your life. So I want to leave us with some discussion questions here. One, what does it look like to fully embrace the forgiveness that Jesus offers us through his spirit? Why is that so hard to accept? And what do we have to let go of in order to do so? Two, why can it be so challenging to witness to people? How does the Holy Spirit help us in that? Do you have any stories when you tr were trying to be a witness and it went well from what you could see? any when it may not have gone so well from what you could see. And three, how does the Holy Spirit help us live a godly life? So thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.